Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Chillinois podcast. Today, I am joined by Scott Redman. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Cole. Yeah, go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. So uh, my name is Scott Redman. I'm an attorney in Chicago, uh, but I'm also a, a team member of a craft grow, a social equity craft grow, as well as infuser and transport licensee. And I am the president and founder of the Illinois Independent Craft Growers Association, which is the trade association for the craft growers here in Illinois. Very cool. Very cool. You got a website? Uh, we do. The- it's ilcraftgrower.com. And um, there's more information about how people can join. It's a, it's a trade association. So the primary members are the craft growers in Illinois, but we do have associate members uh, and sponsors, like you can see there above me and my uh, on my background. Um, we're a, we're a good organization. We have over, uh, we have, I believe at this point, 24 craft growers. Most of the active craft growers are members of our association. All three of the craft growers that are up and running at this point are members of our of our association. And then we have about another 25 um, ancillary businesses that are members of the association that assist us with education and and um, information and just general support. So it's it's a great organization. Yeah. Well, hey, let's get let's get right into the heat of it, uh, my friend. I know that you know it's it's that time of the year, the most wonderful mm-hmm. time of the year. And I'm not talking about Christmas. I'm talking about the legislative uh, session, right? And right. so um, I had actually invited you on to talk about the idea of cannabis commission versus cannabis agency, which for folks that are unaware of the difference between the two or what we're even talking about. Um, We'll get into that, but I thought, Scott, maybe you might want to start with the fact sheet you sent out, and maybe we could get to that topic later on in the show. Sure. Um, one of the goals or one of the, the pillars of the Illinois Independent Craft Growers, IICGA, is to um, advocate for the craft growers and for the license holders and for the license category. Um, that was the reason I founded the association back in 2020 because it became pretty clear in the context of the um, uh, snafus that happened when the state uh, was going through the pandemic and didn't issue the licenses that um, the the CBAI, which is the the, the trade association that really is controlled and and almost exclusively for the uh, large cultivators um, was, was not singing our song was not out there really advocating for us uh it was in the best interest of the large cultivators that we be delayed um they were supposed to have a year advance uh sales opportunity before the craft growers were up and running uh by the by the timing that was set forth in the uh crta and um as as it stands now they've had all of 20 all of 21 all of 22 all of 20 and and part of 23 so they've had three years plus um of, of near exclusivity in the market. And so we formed this association, again, for education, for networking, but but also for advocacy. And the things that uh, we feel are important right now for the craft growers and, and for social equity license holders in general um, are as follows. Uh, as, as you probably know, and I think probably many of your uh, watchers know, um, we are limited to 5,000 square feet as a craft grower our canopy is limited to 5,000 square feet initially. 
The law does allow it to go up to 14,000, but that has never been fleshed out and um, it, it's an uncertain future. And that is causing a significant uh, depression on our ability to raise capital and our ability to get financing because the business at 5,000 square feet is nowhere near as profitable as it is at 14,000 because much of what we have to spend money on is on the infrastructures, on the securities, on the bricks and mortar. Um, and 5,000 versus 14, yes, it costs more, but it's but it's incrementally more. It is not substantially more. So we are advocating for a change in the law to allow us to go to 14,000 square feet of flowering canopy right away. On that point, we have the support of the Illinois Department of Agriculture, the IDFPR, uh, the crew office, as well as the governor's office. Uh, we believe there is support for this in both the House and the Senate. So we are very hopeful that that will push forward. The uh, CBAI has taken a neutral position on it, uh, but uh, privately, I believe there the uh, large organizations are lobbying for some kind of uh, interim step or some sort of thing to to make it harder for it to go right to fourteen thousand. Right, it's, and what I what I'd be ahead. correct in saying maybe something that's led you to believe that is uh, this article here in the past where they have actually. As reported by Gronin, they've led um, the charge in blocking the canopy expansion in the past. Is this maybe what makes you think that they are opposed to that? Yeah, so exactly. Um, we had this initiative uh, for the last um, full session of the uh, legislature, had uh, a bill that was proposed that was a clean, simple bill taking us to 14,000. They took a neutral position on it, but then when pressed, um, by the Senate president, uh, or I'm sorry, by the, by the uh, executive committee chair in the Senate, um, they took a negative position. Um, and it was a near unanimous vote by the board of CBAI. Um, there was one person uh, who voted uh, to support it or to not be taking a negative position, but they, they took a negative position. And then that killed it. It stopped in its tracks. They have expressed a willingness to talk about it, and we have talked about it over the last year or so, but they really do feel that there's a need for a market study. Um, we see that as a delay tactic. We see that as a, as a way of slowing down the process, maybe even manipulating the process. I think if you look at raw numbers, and I, and I don't have raw numbers, but I'm saying if one were to look at the cannabis industry in Illinois, you'd say, well, you know, maybe there's enough. Well, I think the craft growers would say, yeah, there's enough crap out there. <laughs> um I think the industry and the, the the consumer is looking to towards the craft growers to be able to produce um, new and innovative and and higher quality product that's just not out there. So um, we would like to see just go into fourteen thousand right away. Even the Department of Ag thinks a market study is is just window dressing on their argument that it doesn't need to happen right away. Yeah. Um, so what do you? So that's that's on fourteen thousand. We. Go yeah, ahead. and I'll let you I'll let you go through the list and then I'll I'll hold my questions okay. until the end. Um you want to put the list back up? I don't know if you were sharing this. Yeah, with, yeah, yeah I can the, share the list. Absolutely. Yeah, share Absolutely. the list onto the screen. That's uh that's probably good. Better look at that than us. Yeah. For folks that are listening, you can watch the video version at chillinoy.net slash video. Right. Um, um so the second point is access to financing. The the way this was all supposed to roll out, right, in in the CRTA 
was that we were supposed to get licenses, whoever the, the successful applicants were, and immediately be able to access funds that were in the uh, in the cannabis fund um, administered by DCEO. And that money was to help the social equity groups get up and going, not necessarily up and running, but as you can well imagine for a eight, $10 million project, there's a lot of, of work that has to go into just the basics, architectural drawings, um, pro formas. There's, there's professionals that need to be brought on to be able to put together a cohesive um, and compelling business case and business program that you can then take to lenders and to investors. And the money from the DCO program was supposed to be that money. It's been delayed. It ultimately got uh, almost totally delayed. And then um, thanks to a number of our efforts to, to move the, the ball on that, they changed the program and money has now started to flow. But it is, it is a drop in the bucket. Um, we are not able to access something like an SBA loan. We are, we are a small business. And I say that on behalf of all craft growers, we are small businesses but we do not have access to the federal small business loan program because of the federal illegality of the, of the product. So there really is no place for, for us to go to source um, low interest or, or easily accessible loans. Uh, many of the social equity groups out there don't have the credit scores to support a personally guaranteed loan. Uh, that was the whole nature of this program of the, of the CRTA um, to lift up uh, people that have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. So we really need a state program that can somehow get us access through, maybe through state guarantees or something where we can cover the, the amount of money that's necessary to either fund this or at least fund the equity portion. That's this 40-60 loan to value ratio. Um, like when people buy their houses, they know they have to put something down, 20%, 10%. The social equity craft growers need a way to come up with that money so that they can then interest regular lenders and investors to come up with the rest. Um, so that's our access to financing. The economies of scale, that argument it has to do, and that point has to do with co-location. Um, you know, the, the easiest example of that is when you were in college, assuming you were in college, but when people were in college, you know, some people could afford to live by themselves um, and many other people got roommates, right? You shared the cost. You, sh you created an economy of scale in the household. The current CRTA does not allow craft growers to locate on the same piece of property within the same location. And there are many craft growers out there that if they could just pool their resources together, build a single infrastructure, the single security system, the single sets of offices and what have you, the single loading dock, but then have their own grow spaces all connected um, they'd be able to get up and running. We need to see the act amended and we want to see the act amended so that social equity craft growers can locate together and share that expense. It just makes sense. The argument against that is, oh, well, it makes you much more lucrative to be sold to some outside MSO or something. Um, that's going to happen anyway. If these craft growers can't get up and running, they're going to sell out. So why not give the original social equity license holders a chance? a chance to get together. Um, the, the fourth point here um, is there is some push by those that did not get a license to be able to, to have another round of craft grower licenses. There's someone has pushed, pushed a bill out, out there right now 
to try to get another 55 craft growers um, issued. While we support social equity and craft growers, we think that to the extent you dilute the pool now, you're going to make it that much harder for anybody to get up and running. As I said before, there are three craft growers up and running right now. That's out of 88. So there's 85 that still aren't up and running. So our position there is before you add more craft growers into the mix, <clears throat> excuse me, we need to let there be some breathing time for the existing craft growers to get up, open, and operating. The branding integrity, um, as, as you may know, you know, you can't call a Bordeaux wine unless it's made in Bordeaux. Champagne, right. you know, that's why we have sparkling wine here in the United States. If it's made in the United States, it's sparkling wine. It's not champagne. We have uh, seen uh, some of the large growers start to put out products that they are labeling as craft to try to suggest a higher quality, a limited run or whatever. We want craft to be able to be limited to the craft growers here um, or the, at, at a minimum, the social equity owners, craft growers and fusers, but um, as opposed to allowing it to be um, used by anybody who wants to throw that word on their label. We think it's misdescriptive. We think it's misleading. And we think it dilutes um, the one area of the market that we possibly can have, which is craft, right? And then finally, the tax as we scale. Right now on day one, we get hit with the, the cultivation tax um, on the first plants and the first products that come out our door. This is a very capital intensive business to get up and running. The, the first products out the door are going to barely be able to help sustain the operation. And so we are asking for some um, leeway, some, some time to basically be able to get up and stable before these taxes hit. And uh, these are different taxes than the taxes that people pay at the dispensaries. These are taxes directly in our business specific to growing cannabis. It's called the cannabis, cannabis privilege, uh, cultivation privilege tax. And we would ask that that be held back for a while till we get up and running. So those are the six points that we've been out there talking about. We were in Springfield last week. We talked to a, a number of legislators, both in the House and in the Senate. Uh, we had a long conversation with the Department of Ag, with the Department of Professional Financial Regulation, with the Cannabis Regulatory Oversight Officer and, and her team. And we all seem to be very, very much aligned. And um, we feel that it's it's now or never in the sense of it's either going to happen this session, um, but next but next primary session is going to be back into the, the silliness of, of elections. So now is the time. And that's what the legislature legislators are telling us. Now is the time. This is the time to get something done on cannabis. These are the things we'd like to see done. Um, and we can turn to the other thing, which is the, the entire regulatory scheme. Um, but let's, uh, you have any questions on what I just talked about? Sure. And, and thank you, by the way, for explaining the rush, because I've been wondering, like, what is the rush? It does seem, and I've heard just from many different angles, like now's the time we got to do it now. The clock's running out, you know, all those different things. And I'm like, what? I mean, I, I understand with sessions, time is always of the essence, but I'm like, if we're going to do that, my angle has been like, if we're going to do this right, why not take the time? But now this makes sense, you know, with the impending election. Right. 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 And, and that 
and that that's an interesting comment that you've made you know why not take the time to do this right we, we are not making huge overhauls the sure. the regulatory the the overhaul of the regulatory scheme that is an issue that that mm-hmm. want to make sure we get it right because if you get it wrong it's going to cause more harm than it is good um and you also have issues like delta 8 delta 9 delta 10 you know the intoxicating can- cannabinoids um, which is a very naughty issue. Um, we feel it's it's an important issue for for our industry, but in order to do it right, you can't rush it through. Um, so there are bigger issues, and um, and the uh, the reorganization of the regulatory body is 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 one of those. Yeah, well said. Yeah, um, we'll definitely get to that. Um, but really quick, I guess, just to pause because I know I'm going to have different questions regarding that. Um, so let's start with the 14,000 square feet. Um, I guess my first question is why, why just 14,000 square feet? Why aren't you pushing for more? Just curious. Correct. Um, we could use more, the, the more, the better, the more, the more that there is, the more it makes our, our business pro forma in a way that's lucrative to, to attracting the investment we need. The reason we went with 14,000 is it's already there. The statute mm. already accounts mm. for the fact that we can go up to 14. So no one can argue with, whoa, that's too much. Right. And if we said 50 or 25, they would say, you know, some people would say, well, that's way too much. You weren't intended to be that big. That's a fight that or a battle that we'll have down the road. Um, we'd like to be able to go higher. We'd love to have immediate 14 with a, a path with a pathway to 25 or a pathway to 50 with some benchmarks or whatever. But the reason we went with 14 was because it was already there. It's just a matter of saying, Hey, instead of us waiting, uh, you know, uh, this year, this year, this year, this year, this year, let's just do it all at once because the the act hasn't turned out to be what it was intended to be. And so we need that bump now. So that's why 14. Makes sense. Thank you. Um, and, and just a little bit more before we move on from the 14,000 square feet idea, any, any more, why do you think CBAI would oppose this? And especially when they have members now that I've interviewed that are craft cultivators. Yes. I, my team, my, my group, Jerry Cisco farms, uh, we're a craft grower and we'll be out in Marengo, Illinois. We've been a member of CBAI since uh, we got our license. Um, there are three craft growers that are license holders uh, that I'm sorry, that are members of CBAI um, because it, I, I can't speak for them. I, as a member of CBAI, sure. I've, I've participated in meetings and what have you. And the, the votes um, and the discussions, yes, we think there should be 14,000 square feet. It, it, you know, we, we, we don't, you know, we do support it, but then there's always a but. But we're worried that if we make you 14,000 square feet, give you that, then it's going to be far more lucrative for an outside MSO to come and buy. That's their big thing. That is always their big thing. The eight large companies or whatever it is that are here, the Pharmacans, the the, the uh, Cure Leafs, the Cresco, they do the, the way this gets discussed is that if you if we give you too much, you're going to become a, a target for someone who's not already in Illinois to come and buy you, and it'll be more lucrative. It, it, they they may not be interested in you at five thousand square feet, but they may be interested in you at fourteen. 
our, our comment to that is that by not giving us 14, you're going to cause many license holders to give up and sell. And they're not going to sell to a group that doesn't have money. They're going to sell to a group that's already in the industry just by just common sense, right? I mean, you're not likely to, to spring the money for a license in, in Illinois if you don't already know what you're doing and, 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 if, and if you don't have the funds to make it happen. So these licenses are going to get sold to outside groups, groups from out of state. They're the ones who primarily are making inquiries that want to get in the Illinois market. And they don't want to do it through co-manufacturing with the big guys. They rather, you know, control their own destiny and it grow and infuse and extract themselves knowing that they can get biomass from other sources if they need to in the state to, to fully build out their brand. So by doing this, they by, by doing this, they are forcing many craft growers to go ahead and sell who wouldn't have otherwise sold if they had a, a ability to get to 14 right away. Now, so what's- keep in mind, I don't think a lot of craft growers are going to be growing, you know, are going to be immediately building 14,000 right away. The capital is not there. But a lot of people can't get the capital to start even at five if they don't have 14 to show on their on their um, uh, pro formas, because you can tell an investor, well, I have the ability to go to 14,000. And they say, when? And and if you don't have that answer, they're going to say, well, I can't assume that I've got to look at you just as 5,000. If the law says you can go to 14 right away. Well, now all of a sudden your pro forma is based on 14,000. And you're able to scale out that that infrastructure that most of the money is going to. So, yeah, yeah that, that so that's the why they're. I think they're against it. I hope I don't lose my train of thought here because the pretzel logic. So they say they don't want people to start there because then they might sell their business. But because they aren't supporting that, people are selling their business. It, it, there's and, that pretzel and logic. by the way, can I say that it's a little bit rich coming from them the story of those companies are mergers and acquisitions as if they're uh absolved from being purchased from an out-of-state right Right. don't you think that's a little hypocritical it it is and and i don't want to come off as bashing you know the large entrance in this market They, they they they're good people um they have their they they have their own goals and they have their own business plans um and and i get along with them but um, the the way that that organization, and I didn't come on here to talk about CBAI, but they are the organization that likes to say that they represent the industry. Right. And I, I, they do not represent the industry. They represent the large participants in the industry and a few others. I mean, I'm a, I'm a member uh, um, and my, my company is a member, but they don't speak for us. What they say generally has nothing to do with what our interests are. It always seems to be aligned with the large cultivators um, who control the board. And and for those people that don't know how that organization works, depending on the number of you, you get as many votes as you have licenses. So, or at least the licenses you pay for. So we have three licenses. We have a craft grow, we have an infuser, we have a transporter. But we only sign up for one membership because we don't want to spend the money on the other two. But Cresco has 13. So Cresco gets 13 votes when deciding on board members. Um, Other groups have nine, 10, 11. So so of the 101 votes at the last annual meeting for that organization, 
I believe 55 or 50, somewhere between 55 and 59, I'd have to go back and look, were controlled by the large cultivators. Just yeah. with, with just a handful of them. When you start adding in the others who just have like five licenses, they're they're the substantial majority. So that's why that's why their issues come out on top of 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 the of the game plan for that organization. It's yeah. not they don't so support social equity, but it's not the top of their list. Well, and I feel like their values are antithetical to it. The the entire uh, open acceptance of what they call a regulatory moat. I mean, it all but guarantees that social equity will never occur. And and I feel like it's the elephant in the room here. You know, um, we're all we're all at odds up against these limitations. And I think I don't mean to jump to thriving together because I had a awesome question on financing, but I'm going to jump down to thriving together. You made a comment, and I don't know if you were speaking from your perspective or if you were speaking uh, with regard to the opposition, so maybe you can clarify, but you said something about like a concern of of diluting the pool and making it harder for others to get going. Oh, I think it was with regard to issuing more craft licenses. You said, you know, look, we're all supportive of those licenses, but there is the idea that you could dilute the pool and make it harder, harder for others to get going. I feel like that's a value by you saying that that's a value that you do share with those larger operators. And I I guess I wanted to ask the question, what do you think sets the cannabis industry apart from other industries and why do we welcome, you you just said you welcome kind of like a limitation um, on licenses. And if I could really quick before you go ahead, there's just like many other industries with high failure rates, like restaurants, for example, I love using restaurants. Everybody just accepts that in the first five years, 80% of restaurants will go out of business, but you don't have restaurant owners saying, Hey, Hey, we don't want to dilute the pool. It's going to make harder, make it harder for other restaurants to get going. So like what, what's, can you tell me why the cannabis industry has that perspective? I'm going to continue with your your analogy. Okay. Sure. You you are right that there isn't a license limitation on on restaurants, and many many fail. But let's look at a franchise restaurant. I think that's more analogous. Okay. There are limitations. You cannot have a Jimmy John's too close to another Jimmy John's. There are rules about that to protect the integrity and the marketplace for the Jimmy John's and the investment that the people make in Jimmy John's. I mean, so there are those kinds of restrictions out there um, and it's designed to help um, protect the market from oversaturation of, of whatever it might be, whatever that market is in this case, Jimmy John's Um, for the same, by the same token, typically in a shopping center, there's limitations. Hey, if there's one restaurant, there's not going to be two restaurants. If there's a drugstore, they're not going to allow a Walgreens at the other end to sell pharmaceuticals. There, there are ways that industry regulates or tries to regulate itself to help preserve the marketplace. Fishing, you know, there are limited licenses for fishing certain types of species. Why? Because if they everybody had them, th- there would be no more, I don't know, cod or whatever it might be in the various areas where their cod live. So the reason Illinois um, is... is uh, I think going to survive compared to, let's say, Michigan or in Oklahoma or New Mexico is that, and, and Michigan's doing great. Then you look at sales numbers, 
but it's not doing great when you look at the actual cannabis companies that are out there. There's too many of them um, and there's not enough market. Even though they have a big market there, there's not enough. And there's too many, uh, in their case, um, un, I don't call them unregulated, but the caregiver, uh, the ability of caregivers to grow and then they're selling it beyond the caregiver, uh, the, the, the patients they have is one of their problems. But in, in an unlimited market, you end up with uh, with no barriers to entry and you end up with freewheeling competition, which is is not always a good thing when you have so much cost to get into, into the business. I mean, the craft growers are looking at anywhere between five and $10 million for their facilities. Um, and so the, the, the ask is just, hey, we, we see room for more, but let the ones that are out there that are struggling try to get open first. Um, it's more of a staging. Um, there was a, there was about a year between the first round of 40 craft growers and the second round of, of 48. Um, and in that year, unfortunately, because of after effects of the pandemic and a variety of other things in the economy, none of the first 40 were able to get up and running before the second 48 were issued. The, the, the idea, I mean, the, the CRTA itself contemplated, in fact, required that we be up and running within six months of getting our license. I mean, that shows you the optimism that that was built into the CRTA. I mean, that just, I don't think even it could have been done absent a pandemic. It's just, it's just too hard. So the idea is to keep them spread out enough so that the lenders aren't overwhelmed, the financiers aren't overwhelmed, the suppliers aren't overwhelmed in terms of the stuff that we need here in our market um, to, to get 88 craft growers up and running. So that that's all. It's it's not a matter of wanting to, to quell the competition. And in fact, if you talk to most craft growers, we don't see each other as competition. We see each other as as it's kind of us against the 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 large manufacturers. I don't know, and I'm I'm not in the craft brew industry, nor am I a participant on the on the consumption side, but I imagine that most craft brewers, it's a camaraderie. It is not a big competition. Yeah, there's competitions, right, where you're testing your beer against some other beer. But I think the craft brewers probably see themselves as part of this, this the part of a fabric, and it's them against the Budweisers and the Miller Lights and the Coors for for dollars. Um, overall, yes, you have a choice between craft A, craft B, craft C, but I don't think that it's it's so much a direct competition. The competition is getting more dollars into the craft product. Than, than going to the to the large uh, products. Yeah, and I just want to like say again that like my my angle on that is I've I, I appreciate you making your stance clear on it because I don't know if anybody that's really asked like the Illinois Independent Craft Growers Association for their stance on license limitations, but again I know that members let's just say members I don't have to name names I can if you'd like me to but um uh members of CBAI do support license limitations. And I like, I'm pretty much quoting, they say that because if you had lower barriers to entry, there would be more supply. It's a simple case of supply and demand. They want to be able to make returns and they view limited license states such as Illinois as investments, uh, smart investments, in fact, and states like Michigan and Oklahoma and all the other states that you just listed off as dumb investments because, well, they have to compete and the price is to the bottom. You know what I mean? But 
to that, I'm just like, and I'll move on from this subject because you get where I'm coming from. But oh, yeah. I just really think it's the American dream. Like I, I, the what I'm hearing from you and what I've heard from everybody is we oppose unlimited licensing because it's hard to make money and it's hard to get invest investors and everything. And I totally see where you're coming from. I'm not like saying that that's not correct, but my thing is like, big deal. We, we legalized weed so that people wouldn't go to jail for it anymore. I don't really personally as a consumer, I'm just like, figure it out, you know? And I don't think people should be prevented. I think that's the key thing. I think that's where I'm coming from. If that, mm -hmm. if I didn't make that abundant enough and it's the, it's the idea that Toy Hutchinson said, and this I think was in reference to the dispensary licenses. She said uh, there were 75, there were 5,000 applications for what was going to be 75 licenses. We knew 99% mm -hmm. of people weren't going to get them. And that idea just doesn't sit well with me, um, especially when proponents of these like systems say that these policies serve to atone for the social injustices created, uh, uh, committed by the government. Because just handing out a few handful of licenses to me doesn't address the policies and enforcement patterns that actually created this problem in the first oh, place. No, no it, it, it doesn't, you know, it, doesn't. it was a, it, the idea of legalization and allowing there to be businesses that can be created and trying to provide those business opportunities to social, you know, to social equity um, groups. That was the purpose. The question you're kind of getting to is, is how many licenses should be issued and should there be a, a restriction at all? I mean, you can't right now go brew beer in your in your basement and sell it at a farmer's market. You can't for many different reasons. You don't have the license to brew. You don't have the license to sell. There are, you know, it is a license. And, and people, what people forget is that the fact that this is still federally illegal and the only way that there are state legal, you know, legal state markets is by virtue of something called the coal memo and the other items that came out, you know, the other uh, advice that came out is part of that. And, and the, the quid pro quo is, hey, we will leave you alone. This is the Fed speaking. We will leave you alone if you have a highly regulated industry. So, you know, I've talked to many people that say, why can't we sell weed at farmer's markets? Well, because that's not a highly regulated industry. Maybe eventually you'll be able to do that. But right now, we're still tippy-toeing as an industry around the federal oversight or or the, the federal, you know, don't ask, don't tell, look the other way. But they definitely want to make sure that we have a, a highly regulated industry. Illinois is probably as highly regulated as any. Um, and, and so I, I hear what you're saying. From the consumer standpoint, the more producers, the cheaper, cheapest it's going to be. Um, it's obviously very cheap in in places like Michigan. That's not to say Michigan doesn't have problems. There there are plenty of problems in Michigan. So at some point there's going to be happy medium. At some point we will get to the right equilibrium in licenses um, here in Illinois, both for dispensary and for and for grow. I mean, just I, I, I'm gonna you know you can edit this however you want in terms of time, but you know when you look at dispensaries, we are already hearing about problems where there were six licenses issued in BLA, you know, BLS, whatever it is, Danville or, or Carbondale or the Western Illinois, there isn't enough population to, to, to have that many dispensaries 
in spread out through that area. Everyone wants the, the Danville BLS. Everyone wants to be in Danville and everyone wants to be on one freaking street in Danville. Um, you know, Carbondale has, has a, a half dozen or whatever it's going to be there. There aren't as enough good locations. And, and I, this isn't me speaking. This is the people that are, that have gotten these licenses who are looking at saying, I'm not sure where I'm going to be able to locate because there are too many licenses in this market for me to be able to find a place because you don't, you, you know, you sell one, one eighth, you're not making, you're not making any money. I mean, you have to have so many people, so much security, so much everything. We call it the cannabis tax, not the cannabis taxes you pay, but the cannabis tax that a vendor charges us for steel and bricks and mortar and labor and whatever. It, it, everything goes up because they hear the word cannabis and some of these businesses won't be able to get up and running. And you're going to see, I think, a number of groups starting to petition the state to let them move to a different BLS. Most likely the Chicago BLS, which isn't just Chicago, it goes all the way out to where my craft grow is out in Marengo. Um, you know, and it goes all the way up to the, the Wisconsin border up north by, you know, well, no, it doesn't go to Waukegan. That's a separate one. But it's a, there's a lot of room in the in this BLS as opposed to some of these smaller ones that have a disproportionately high number of dispensaries and not enough people. So th there are reasons. There are reasons for the health of the uh, health of the industry to to be mindful of, of what you put out there. Yeah. That was a long answer. Hey, no, it's it's all good. That's why I love I love this podcast because we can take our time to have long mm -hmm. format conversations like this. So um well, moving on uh, to your financing point, um, I'm just looking at it because like, I am just going to jump right to it. I recently heard that in the past, cultivators have, uh, you know, like established licensees have been given uh, permission to cultivate outdoors. And I'm curious how uh, the Illinois Independent Craft Growers Association thinks of a of a temporary – so that's what I've heard. And I've asked mm -hmm. for the Illinois Department of Agriculture to comment and confirm that this is indeed the case. But at this point, I'm positive that it is the case because I've had a licensed cultivator come on my show and talk about it. Yeah, they knew yeah. – right. I've talked to employees that have worked in the fields, mm -hmm. you know, so it's – it's a pretty certain thing. So I'm just curious in a time where, you know, like you said, you're looking for money and, um, you know, maybe you're looking for a situation with low overhead. So, so you can bring that money in. What do you think about the state throwing you a bone, as I've been saying, and letting you maybe just cultivate outdoors, you know, just to get some money coming in? Right. So here's what I know. Of, of, here's what I know about that. Um I, you are correct. There is at least one um, of the original medical growers that still, I, I'm not sure if it's going to be for 2023 or not, but as, as you know, as a 2022 season, they still had a, a portion of, of uh, outdoor grow. Um, it's enclosed in a screen, in basically a screen structure. So it's got a screen top and screen sides. It's got a million cameras, all of that, but it is outdoors. Um, by their own admission, they don't make much of quality out there. It's mainly all for extraction. And it's and it's not all it's cracked up to be. That's just anecdotal. Um, directly from. And I've heard similar, but yeah. but I guess my angle on it is. No, know, no, no. Yeah, Let me get, to to get some yeah. edibles. and Right. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. And so we have made that point. We have we have inquired 
um, with the uh, with the Illinois Department of Ag, and um, it, it was interesting. I, I was meeting with them. They were coming and take a look at our site, and I asked them about that because at my site at, at our craft grow. We've got buildings, but we also have another, I don't know, six acres that we could, you know, that's farmland that we could we could grow in. Um, and I said, hey, there's other groups out there. There's at least one large group that has outdoor. And apparently, and, and their comment was, well, we're in the process of shutting that down. Um, there is a lawsuit right now between that particular grower, maybe another, I don't know, and uh, the Illinois Department of Ag. And from what I understand, the history of that is that when they were medical, they were allowed to do it. The old administration allowed them to do it, whatever. However that happened, it happened, and it was okay. The, now under, under REC and with the new sheriffs in town at AG, they are not in favor of that. They don't believe it's, it's an enclosed room. Um, it's, it's part of the facility, et cetera, et cetera. They have other reasons. They don't think it's it's good practice, bugs and, and whatever. So um, I believe there is a lawsuit. So if AG hasn't commented on it, it's more likely because there's an ongoing lawsuit, but that should tell you what their position is by reviewing that lawsuit. We've pushed them and we said, this is an easy way for everybody to get up and running and at least start generating some revenue. That argument is not false. They understand that argument. Um, they just don't believe, as I understand it, I certainly don't want to speak for them, um, but as I understand it from talking a number of times about it, they they don't believe it's a good idea for for a variety of reasons. And and I'm going to expand on this and, and tell you some things you may not know. We had also asked them, and, and this was my group in particular, my craft girl, for permission to grow in containers. Not some crappy, you know, piece of junk container we bought surplus, but a purpose-built, you know, cannabis cultivation container made by a leading manufacturer, you know, out there. We were going to do two of them just to do some pheno hunts and some, do some R&D and what have you. They'd be attached to our building, full security, whatever. They hemmed, they hawed, and they ultimately came down and said no. And I said, you know, first of all, you're by and, and just for your for your listeners and, and, and viewers, maybe your edification, these things cost about a hundred grand a piece, which is reasonable. I mean, it's at a per square foot, maybe not quite so, but it's boom, six weeks, you order it, six weeks later, you've got them, and you just literally plug, plug them into your security, plug them into your electric, plug them into your water, and off you go. They've got their own environmental systems, they have their own HVAC, they have their own lights, they have their own benches, it's all ready to go. So it's a very um, easy way of getting started. I mean, there are some manufacturers in this country that grow exclusively in containers. They they stack them up inside a giant warehouse. And so this isn't, this isn't a brand new concept, but they turned it down. Um, they didn't like the idea. They, they had a number of points. Um, they haven't formally issued a, a notification on this yet, but they've made it very clear um, that they are not going to allow these containers. So when they told me that, I said, well, you know, you're just going to make help make the argument even stronger for outdoor grow, because that's if you're not going to let us do, you know, this easy way of doing some form of indoor grow, you, people are going to push harder for outdoor. And you're seeing it. There is, I think, a bill out there. Someone is 
proposed a bill that adds the word outdoor or something like that to the definition of facility. Um, and so, you know, it's, it is a problem. It is something that I think that a lot of out, a lot of people could get started much easier. Um, it's not like they don't do it in other parts of the country. And there's so many things that come up here in Illinois that we, we, we've asked and we, we've said, Hey, but look at how they do it here or look at how they do it there. We're not asking anyone to go out on a limb regulatory from a regulatory standpoint, just, you know, let's look at how much, you know, how many cameras they need in a, in a typical craft grow size facility out in California. I can give you an answer. It's about 90. <clears throat> we have to do well over a hundred and something for, for even a smaller facility. There's just a lot of things where we we've asked, let's take a cue from other parts of the country where they've been successfully doing this and, and see if we can't scale back some of our red tape to, to match. Outdoor grow would be one of them. <clears throat> Eventually people will be able to figure out how to grow outdoor. Well, I think they do a fair job in, in Michigan. Yeah. But yeah, I think the humidity yeah. is a little better there. It just gets too humid here. It's you know? a different, that's why they can grow grapes there too, for that matter. It's a mm -hmm. different climate. It's a different soil. It's all sand. I mean, it's just, it's just different. Um, so anyway, that, that, that's all I have to say about that. Cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that was insightful. Um, so we already touched on my question about thriving together. Uh, I, you had mentioned the delight, dilute the pool thing. So I wanted to ask about that. Um, before we get to cannabis agency and commission, I had a very interesting question for you on branding integrity. I totally get where you're coming from. There are brands that I'm aware of. I don't, we don't have to name them, but if, again, if you want to, we can, um, that no, put craft on their branding and they're not a craft, uh, cultivator. And so, um, I'm, I'm just curious, are you concerned about opening up a can of worms here? Because as soon as you ban craft grow, then they're going to say hand cultivated. And then they're going to say locally sourced, artisanal, small batch, boutique, independent, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, there is that. You're right. Um, Maybe like a stamp from the state that like this is an Illinois craft grow. Is that kind of what you're shooting for? So it's like, you know, that it's. Yeah, I, I think so. I think there's going to be consumers out there. I mean, you, you raise a good point. And there's, I mean, one could bring lawsuits to try to say they're misdescribing their products and whatever, sure. I suppose, on these other things. I mean, it would be pretty ballsy of them to say hand, you know, hand grown, hand trimmed if it really wasn't hand grown and hand trimmed. But if it yeah. is hand grown and hand trimmed, so be it. I think the, I think there's going to be a, a consumer base out there that wants to support somebody other than the large MSOs. They mm -hmm. want to support the craft growers. They want to support the independent infusers. And I think by eight, by being able to mark your product with with that, be able to say that it is craft, you're yeah. going to be able to signal to those buyers that yes, you are dealing with. Um, one of these social equity craft grower businesses um, and, and not an MSO that's just, you know, labeling their product as, as craft. So I, I think that's a big part of it, but you're right. There, there will always be a way. I am a lawyer. I mean, we live off of ways around things, right? Yeah. And that's, that's, you're, you're absolutely right. I almost feel like I answered my own question though. And maybe I, I'm just curious, is this kind of what you're pushing for? I, I feel like maybe what the answer would be is some like statutory, statutory mandate, like that has a badge from the state. That's like, this is a craft cultivator. Like this is from the state, you know what I mean? 
certified well, if the law says you can't say craft unless you're a craft cultivator you know oh fair enough then yeah, yeah that's what we're asking power. for oh yeah no no we're asking for a specific position in the crta that says that unless xyz you cannot call your product craft okay so yes yeah, so gotcha. so it may not be a stamp it may not be a you know a, an official seal mm -hmm. um that's not to say that iicga our organization couldn't come up with a seal and you know, and say, hey, sure. you know, you got to certify us your craft grower before you can put that seal on your on your product. Um, but, you know, then you get into some really weird things because it, it, in any other industry, if I was coming up with that as the head of an association, I'd want to trademark that. Right. Mm -hmm. I would want to trademark that seal so that I can control who can use it. Mm -hmm. Well, right now, it's pretty darn hard to get a trademark on anything related to cannabis, if not impossible. Mm -hmm. You can try to skirt the rules. Well, it's not. We're getting it for candy. Or we're getting it for lighters and then, you know, hope that that keeps enough people away that they don't take your trademark. So we wouldn't even be able to trademark that, um, at least not nationally. We could do it under the state trademark clause. But you're you're right. We've thought about that. We've talked about it down yeah. the road. Interesting, though. I didn't uh, think about it the way you were saying it, that if you just added it to the state law. Yeah. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Okay, well, cool. Why don't we get to uh, Cannabis Agency versus Cannabis Commission? Thank you for letting me... Uh, ask those questions sure so you want to ask a question or you want to uh you yeah want to fill well, in the listeners on yeah the let's, let's on give some let's give some background and i think maybe the way the best way to do that would be to uh listen to it from the state of illinois perspective how about that okay. um i recently asked vaughn um bentley the difference mm -hmm. between the the uh, cannabis agency and cannabis commission. So he announces that, but he also tells us why the state uh, changed what they supported. Because in the past, they've supported the idea of a commission. Now they support the idea of an agency. I think that'll introduce the topic I pretty so. well for and us. And just for everyone's benefit, Vaughn is um, the guy in charge of cannabis, basically, at the IDFPR. Thanks, Scott. Mm -hmm. Um. And just a little bit more background, this was recorded at the um, Cannabis Innovation Summit at the at 1871, uh, a summit hosted by Gronin on 420. So I'm going to share my screen and we will watch the clip. Here's Vaughn's response. Hey Brad, thanks for, and 1871 Grown In for hosting. Uh, Vaughn, I had a question for you. Thank you for coming again. It's only one of you, like you mentioned. Um, a little bit of, uh, over a year ago, it was reported by a relatively small publication who none of us have heard about, Grown In, <laughs> uh, that the office of the CROO indicated that they supported the idea of a cannabis commission, and today you indicated support for an agency. Two questions. Honestly, what's the difference? That's a little bit elementary, so forgive me. Um, but s second question, why the change of heart? Did you even hear my? I okay, sorry. I, I did. Uh, so the first question is, what's the difference between a commission setup and an agency setup? Uh, I will not bore you with the very long technical legal <laughs> answer. The main difference is who's at the top. An agency has a single person at the top. There's that one person that's accountable for everything that agency does. For IDFPR, it's Secretary Trado. Uh, for the proposed agency, it will be a, a director or secretary level. For a commission, it's a group of people. 
Uh, so all of those people are responsible for the decisions being made uh, by that agency or that commission. Uh, part of the issue that you see with commissions, and I have a little bit of experience working on this. Uh, prior to taking this role, I was advised, I've advised a lot of our state professional boards. Um, and part of the issue you see is the issue with being as responsive as an agency can as a commission model. Everything a commission does, they have to vote on. It has to be public meetings. Um, and that slows down the ability to respond both to public health emergencies as well as for an industry like this that is changing daily. Uh, there are new, new developments, uh, new issues that we're seeing. Um, and I think the, the reason that change came about is we really re-examined what is going to be best for this industry, what is going to be best for not only uh, being able to be responsive, but also to help protect social equity. Uh, if you have a commission, uh, they can't respond as quickly as an agency can. They uh, may have other ideas that, that come from the private sector, which may help some, but may not have the focus of social equity. So in re-examining that, uh, I think both the crew's office uh, as well as members of uh, the Pritzker administration came to the conclusion that an agency setup is the best way to be responsive, to protect social equity and make sure that we are continuing to focus on social equity and, and helping a socially equitable market grow. Thanks, Vaughn. So that was Vaughn's response. Um, that I feel like pretty well introduced the topic. Um, I've gotten the impression that the craft, the the Illinois Independent Craft Growers Association. I love that your name is on your background because can look at it. Easy. Yeah, um, I've gotten the impression that you support the idea of an agency. Um, I, I don't want to speak for you though. Um, if, if first of all, maybe if you feel like he didn't introduce the topic well enough, or if there's something he neglected to mention, please introduce that and then maybe tell us your position. Yeah, let's let, let me let me do that because one might be asking why why are we you know why are we talking about this? It's already illegal. We're already regulating it. Why why do we need some kind of change? Um, right now, the cannabis industry in Illinois is is a topic on which many agencies have a say. Is just the most obvious one. Dispensaries are regulated by the IDFPR, whereas cultivation, transportation, infusion. Is and craft grow is all is regulated by the Department of Ag. Um, then you've got the IDOR, Department of Re uh, Department of Revenue. You've got state police. You've got the health department. You, there's I'm told that no one's ever shown me the list, but I'm told there's like a dozen agencies that somehow have some oversight of some element of. Campus. I actually saw today the number is seventeen. Seventeen, yeah, and that's just wildly inefficient. Um. You end up with an agency that maybe has, so our primary agency, Craft Grow, our primary agency is Department of Ag. There are three people, maybe four at this point, and then some inspectors. I mean, that is not enough um, for the, the size of the, the industry that we're talking about here. And so there might be a couple people at IDFPR. There might be one person at health. One, and, and so you, you have these little islands of people that are not well enough staffed to do what they need to do, let alone it may not be their only responsibility at those agencies. So 
taking a cue from other states that have a central cannabis regulatory function, let's call it that as opposed to commission or agency. They just have a centralized cannabis regulatory function. They're able to focus exclusively on cannabis. And, and so I don't think there's really anybody in the industry that thinks that that is not a good idea because the way it's working right now, the, the model isn't working. So there is definitely a groundswell of support for there to be a change. So there needs to be a change. It's just not working. And it's really not working for social equity because it's the little guys that end up falling through the cracks, right? No matter what happens, you know, the big guys controlling as much of the revenue as they control, they get attention. Um, I think the Department of Ag does a pretty good job of, of trying to even out the attention. Um, but generally speaking, the little guys lose in a scenario like that. So that's why there's a need. Um, this isn't something that just came up this session. It was talked about last year, um, but it's not an easy thing. It is not an easy thing to, to, if they're not cooperative, to wrestle away control of a lucrative industry from all these different agencies. So what has happened this year is that the governor has got behind the idea of needing to reorganize this. Now, you know, people remember from their civics class, agencies are part of the executive branch. They are underneath the governor. So the governor is in charge of ag, is in charge of state, in charge of all those things. So, so when the governor says, this is a priority for me, this is something I support, um, then things start to happen. And then you don't get the pushback from the agencies. And I think what people are generally expecting is that the people that are in these various roles at these other agencies will all kind of come in to be at the cannabis agency. So then you get to the question of, well, how do you want to do it? Some states have a commission. Some states do have a singular agency. In Illinois, other types of industries have commissions. There is the Commerce Commission. There is the Illinois Gaming Board, which is basically the same as a commission. And those often get pointed to as a, hey, we're familiar with how to do this. The Illinois Gaming Board, the Illinois Commerce Commission, um, and whatever other ones there might be. Um, but I think if you talk, now I'm starting to get into the opinion part. If you talk to the people that are generally regulated by those boards, um, if you talk to the small players in the um, gaming industry, the, the, the video lottery operators and whatever, um, I happen to know a few. I even know one that happens to also have a craft grow license and some dispensary licenses. And they are, are, are adamant that the, the board and commission style structure does not work for the small guy. The big casinos, you know, I can't imagine that the big, you know, the new Bally Casino downtown got put to the end of the pile on someone's desk over at the gaming board. That, you know, as long as it may have taken, that's it takes long, but they get their needs satisfied, you know, before others is what I am being told. So there's no reason to expect that the social equity components of this industry are going to get the kind of attention they need in an, in a commission style. Another reason that the that people are pushing a commission, and just to be very clear, the large cannabis companies are pushing a commission. It is a top goal of CBAI. It is their top goal, I believe, to have a commission-style reorganization. And one of the reasons is, is that they believe, um, correctly so, that they will have influence on the commission. 
as opposed to having one person at an agency who's ultimately reporting to the deputy governor and then the governor, um, if there's a commission of industry people, of some industry people, some politicals, et cetera, they will be able to have some level of influence. The, 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 the pro for that, and including for, for us in some ways, is that industry will have more of a say in what happens and how the regulation happens. That said, we are realistic, the craft growers and the other social equity groups are realistic that who's going to have the influence? It will not be us. And so one of our concerns is that this will be a, a, a an organization, a commission that is um, mo more focused on the large industry participants than the social equity participants. Whereas we feel that the agency being directly underneath the governor um, and the governor has social equity as one of his top priorities, certainly for the cannabis industry, that social equity is going to be fairly promoted, fairly protected in, in an agency model versus um, a, an overall um, commission model. And keeping in mind the conversation we had at the outset of this whole, um, of this whole podcast um, is that there are very few, very, very few social equity license holders in CBAI. Um, there are two on the board, um, Ambrose Jackson and Portia Mittens. They are they are on the board and they do their best, but they are you know wildly out outmanned in terms of of votes on the board. Um, I certainly speak up for social equity at these at these meetings at the CBAI meetings. I constantly point out that that whatever position they may be taking isn't consistent with that of of uh, what the majority of social equity holders would want. Um, and so given that, given how their own organization is run, we have no reason to believe that their influence on a commission wouldn't be along the same lines. And um, it's just a fact. So we feel that we are better promoted and better protected as craft growers, as social equity um, license holders by the agency format. And we also so want to support the governor. The governor supports social equity. We want to support the governor. And if this is what the governor wants, and it looks like it would be a good thing for us, then it's something that we want as well. Yeah. I was in a meeting, and I ultimately ended up obtaining a, a full copy of the recording of a meeting with, with the CROO, and they were mm -hmm. talking about their support of the cannabis agency. And one of the things that uh, was mentioned um, and we shared this exchange on our show. Um, basically, you know, somebody asked about the former idea of a commission and she said, look, I'm not going to lie and say, yes, the former crew supported a commission, but we currently don't. And she said that one of the reasons among others and Vaughn alluded to it and you've alluded to it. It's like this idea of, um, like you say, undue influence and and how they can maybe better mold, um, how big interests can better mold policy to benefit themselves, right? And I, the crew used an example, and I felt like it's important to bring up. She said that she was aware that at least with the cannabis commission model, that the forty percent inventory rule had been struck, which she claimed to be uh, 
like paramount to craft growers success. What are your thoughts on that? So that um, it's an interesting, interesting point you bring up. So uh, just a little bit of background on, on, on how this all came up, because I was in the room in the room for that as well. Um, there is a legislative working group. There is a, a working group of legislators um, that has been formed to try to figure out the issues that need to be addressed and come up with legislation. And they that working group, headed by uh, Representative LaShawn Ford, um, asked a number of the stakeholder groups, such as IACGA, such as CBAI, Chicago Normal, C- uh, CEIC, et cetera, um, to speak to them and give them our thoughts on, um, on agency versus commission. And we all did. And in the and crew was on that call. And in the context of that call, it was raised about the 40, 60, the 40 percent rule. And for those that don't know the 40 percent rule, there's a provision in the CRTA that says that no dispensary can have on its shelves more than 40 percent product of, you know, more than no more than 40 percent of their shelf can be from one manufacturer. So that prevents Cresco, uh, you know, a Cresco dispensary from having all Cresco product. OK. And. And as, as you pointed out, that is an important thing for craft growers because we want to make sure that there is an opportunity to get on shelves at these large uh, MSO dispensaries. So it was pointed out on that call that in the draft legislation that was providing for a commission-based regulatory structure, that that, 40, that in there was also a provision that took out the 40% rule. Now, on the call... Um, CBAI's representative made it very clear that, oh, 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 that was a mistake. Um, that is not our intention. That's a mistake. So, uh, you know, it's yet to move forward in any way. It's all being discussed. But I, to be fair to CBAI, they said that that was a mistake. Yeah. Um, wasn't supposed to be there. Um, in terms of Crew's position on commission versus agency, the bill that's out there right now that was started to float last year was a bill that was drafted by Danielle Perry, who was the former crew, um, the former cannabis regulatory oversight officer. Um, she is no longer, in, and she was in favor of a commission. And and I'm not sure why. Um, I'm not sure if you know if she was tighter with the the large MSOs than 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 um, than not. I don't know. I, I don't want to to guess. But you are correct. It was a com- it was a commission model, and it was formally supported by the prior crew. And so, when you say it's so, when people need to understand that we use the term crew to really describe a group, an agency, but really the crew is a person. It's Aaron Johnson now. It is a regulatory officer. So it's like saying that hey, the United States government was in favor of X when Trump was in office, and now they're not in favor of X or in favor of Y when Biden's in office. So I, I think there's a lot to do with that, and the new uh, the new uh, regime at Crew feels that um, that that wasn't in the best interest of social equity or the industry. So they that that's why they have changed. Um, let me expand a little bit more on this discussion because I've had conversation with Crew as recently as the hour before our call. We were also in Springfield last week, um, lobbying for a variety of different things. Um, I I can tell you. Um, as of this moment, uh, it really is news as of uh, five o'clock on on uh, Tuesday, um, that we believe that the agency format 
of regulatory oversight is has the majority support in the House um, of the Black Caucus um, and has majority support in the Senate. But, always a but, but there is a problem, there's a substantial issue in, and, and that the Senate Executive Committee which decides on which bills get discussed and voted on in the Senate is against the agency model and has said, and I can tell you has said to me personally, uh, and obviously a committee didn't speak to me, but the committee's voice said to me and a number of other people, it will either be a commission or there will be nothing, which meant to us and means to other people in, 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 um, in this uh, brouhaha and, that either we agree that it can be a commission model or no cannabis legislation is going to get out of the Senate. And that's a real problem. And, and it's, it is not um, without note that, um, that the big guys spend a lot of money on lobbying and they spend a lot of money on political donations. We spend a little money on lobbying and we have made no political donations. We just, we're a bunch of people that don't have businesses yet. Um, and it's, um, we still have a, a month or so to go in this, in this session, a little less than a month. And we certainly hope to change some minds. Um, but there's at least some groups out there, um, that are willing to, to forego all cannabis, um, legislation that's needed if they don't get their way. And that's not good politics. That's not good. That's not good governance. Um, maybe it's good politics. I don't know, but it's not good governance. And from from our perspective, we hope to be able to have some some very serious discussions. When I say our, I mean those of us that are in support of the agency, which are pretty much all the social equity advocacy groups, the social equity license groups, crew, Department of Ag, IDFPR. We're hoping to have conversations with the Senate leadership to be able to say, hey, majority of Senate wants this, majority of House wants this, the majority of the industry wants this. You have to keep in mind, there are over 200, if not 300 transport license holders. There's 88 craft growers. There's 50 some infusers. There are like eight. Um, and, and then there's then there's 200 and there's what, 200 and some, 185 dispensaries Everybody's social equity. You couldn't get a license in any of those categories if you didn't qualify as social equity. There are all those license holders, and there are basically eight or so large license holders. They are not the industry. They are a piece of the industry, but they are not the industry by per capita at all. I mean, there are far more of us than there are of them. And, and that's a point that we have to just keep making. Anytime you talk about anything social equity, there are far more social equity license holders than there are non-social equity license holders. And, and, but for the social equity component in the CRA, CRTA, there wouldn't be adult use. This was part of the deal. The medical um, license holders, who are all the big guys for the most part, they wanted adult use. They wanted recreational cannabis. Um, they were losing their shirt, as any of them will tell you quickly. They were losing a lot of money on medical only. I, I understand that, and it's not a debate. And they wanted adult use. And the way they got adult use was to build in this social equity component that this is really for social equity. They get all these new licenses. 
Um, and so when you look at the industry, it was created for social equity. It's dominated by social equity. Social equity needs to be the, the, the social equity license types needs to be the focus and it should not be um, outshouted, if you will, um, by the, the small group of very large uh, cultivators. Well said. Yeah. Within the context of the industry, I, I definitely have to agree. And, and by that, I mean, I'm alluding to what I talked about earlier with the disparate uh, levels of enforcement and everything. I truly don't believe we've stopped the pattern of social equity. So like we got to stop that before we even, but again, I'm not going to get back into that, you know, where I stand. Um, I'm curious, you know, you've made a really convincing case here and I'm going to do my best to elevate uh, your perspective among the others that I've gathered. I'm so glad I asked you uh, to come on the show, by the way, because I've not released my report on uh, the Cannabis Commission and Cannabis Agency, and you did such a great job at providing, I mean, you provided so much more context than I was able to provide because I got an invitation to that through a way I'm not going to tell you. And, um, you know, uh, it was hard for me to put together what room I was in, what's going on. And I did my best, but you really added a lot of uh, context that I think is important to this conversation. So uh, thank you for that. I, I think you heard on that call that you were on agency, 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 all the, the, the various stakeholder groups and advocacy groups, everybody was agency and CBAI was commission. Correct. Yep. Yep. And so I guess my my question here, and you you made the point yourself, again, I, I really think you did a convincing, like I personally see your side of this, I think, again, in the context of an industry conversation, I think that an agency would be the answer given other things that the crew has mentioned, Aaron Johnson, and um, things that you've heard. So I guess my question here is, you know, while you may have presented a, a convincing case, in a country and a state, frankly, where you just said money talks, what are we going to do here? I mean, are we really relying on the community? I'm trying to help you right now. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to throw you a zinger. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's that's a very very critical question. Um, I think people need to contact, and, and you know, hear this all the time. People need to contact their senators. People need to contact their legislators. I mean, and they do because because people the, 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 they're just like us. I mean, they most of them really are someone who would say, "Hey, do you want to run for this?" And you know, they were they were they ran a business before, and maybe they got involved in their local school council, and then, so so they do. Now they have a million things going on. They have a million things going on, so they really need snippets. They need sound bites. They need to hear clearly about why this is important. Um, you know, even if you just, if, even if someone just says to them, look, I, I, I'm, I participate in the, in the cannabis industry. I'm interested in the cannabis industry. I, 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 I buy cannabis. I'm in favor of the way social equity, you know, I'm in favor of social equity. If you just say that, if all you have is 10 seconds, you happen to see your, a Senator or, or a representative down the hall, uh, you know, walking around your neighborhood, I'm in favor of social equity. When it comes to cannabis, I'm in favor of social equity because, by and large, the social equity um, positions are the positions that that are um, they're the ones that are being advocated by all the advocacy groups. Chicago Normal, the Cannabis Equity Inclusion, Illinois Coalition, um, because that's what this is supposed to be about. And 
ultimately, we may be able to get to the kind of industry that you ideally see. Um, but it isn't going to go from what we have now to that. It's it's going to have to first you got to get the social equity businesses up and running and saying, hey, let's be more inclusive. We're going to hire you know social equity. Let's bring in more licenses. Once we're up and running, let's bring in more licenses. There's cannabis should be should be as, as freely available as as beer. Right. And and it's not. And um, there's a lot of reasons why. And there are a lot of political things at work. And right now it's a matter of the big guys and the little guys. And so just speak up for the little guys. That's one way. Another way is ultimately, um, you know, when it comes time, you know, voting with your feet and, and with your pennies and your dollars and supporting the craft grow products, the craft grow products are likely to be higher end products. They're going to be more expensive. You have to recognize that um, we can't compete on the scale and the cost, you know, the econo economies of, of scale that they, the big guys have. So the cheaper weed is not going to be our weed. It's going to it's going to be the higher end stuff, the more innovative products. And, and we, hopefully you can support those and support your independent dispensaries, um, because all of that support then helps helps us then move the needle forward. It's that's a long term solution. Short term is talking to your legislators, talking to anybody, you know, sending feedback on this show. You know, send feedback to Cole and say, yeah, it needs to happen because we can then take that feedback and take it back to um, the Senate Executive Committee or wherever we need to and say, look, when it's talked about, here's what people think. It's not just us. It's not just us. Um, so that would all be very, very helpful. It's, it's grassroots. That's that's all we have is grassroots. Is grassroots advocacy, not grassroots, the uh, cannabis company. <laughs> is there a, a way that like people could like go to your website and support you financially? Yeah, they, they can. Uh, they cannot support us financially. We don't. We okay. don't take donations. Um, but they can, and certainly go to our website, um, ilcraftgrower.com, and um, make sure if they. And, and there's ways to communicate with us. They can also communicate with us through info at illinoiscraftgrower.com. Um, and. Yeah, if they've got an opinion and they want to share with us, they can do it through the contact page. They can email us directly at the info address. Um, they can, you know, to the extent that they know anybody who's a craft grower, they're in the industry. Um, tell them what you think. Tell them what you think, because the more anecdotal, the more support we have, the, the stronger we can be when we're when we're talking to the people that may, in fact, be getting thousands and thousands of dollars from other parts of the industry. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, do you worry, you mentioned prices, you know, going to be a little high and I think people do expect that, but I, I'm glad you stated that for folks that may not be aware that, you know, a craft, just like a, a craft, any product, yeah, you know, right. artisanal product generally carries a higher price tag because it's craft, right? So, um, but thank you again for stating that so that people can like mentally prepare for that. I'm curious, do you worry about current operators dropping the fly price floor because i mean and the reason i asked that for folks that are listening right now i was handed this cartridge over the weekend and it's it's not great uh it's but i'll just say this product is on sale this exact product that i'm holding right now is on sale in illinois i'm not gonna but if you just saw it right now you can maybe put together whose product it is um it's on sale in illinois for 130 dollars 
But the person that gave this to me just gave it to me because they got it on sale in Michigan for $30. $30. And so, I mean, they obviously can't afford to cut the prices that much. They're doing it. Um, so I'm just curious. I've always worried that that, that that would be the case. You know, a craft cultivator comes online and all of a sudden the floor drops. Well, there there is. Um, of course, there's worry about that. I mean, that's that's. That's competition 101, in, you know, in many people's books that let's, let's not us, but, you know, someone with a, with a whole bunch of weed and the big guys have a lot of weed on storage, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds because they were waiting for these dispensaries to open for two years, like everybody else was. And they were planning, they wanted to have product in, in, in the, uh, in the hopper ready to go out. So they certainly have the weed to be able to, to, to flood the market, bring down the price. It's at some point, you know, it's, 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 uh, there, are, there are certainly other industries where people come in and they flood the market, lower the price down to get rid of competitors. Then they slowly bring the price back up. Um, and it's, it's no surprise, it's no secret that, uh, that some of the companies that are here in Illinois have done that in other markets. They have produced huge quantities, flooded the market made it so that the smaller industry participants can't produce um, efficiently. You know, they can't, they can't get on the shelves and get their products sold because it's just too, too easy to buy five of the cheaper ones than one of the more expensive ones and, and force us out. That's why, you know, it's going to take some staying power by many of us. And it's going to take really um, a grassroots consumer base that says, I'm not going to let Budweiser win. I like my, you know, to go back to beer. I like my three Floyds. I like my, you know, what, you know, Lagunitis, although they're kind of big now. But I like these smaller beers. I like knowing it came from my community. I like knowing that it was handcrafted in small batches and it was not produced in some giant factory down in, you know, St. Louis or wherever it might be. And um, we're just going to have to keep pushing that. There will always be people that will buy the cheapest weed they can. They're just looking for a high. And then there are people that are looking for an experience. They're looking, for, it's it's like beer, sure. I mean, think about, you know, when you were younger, you go out and buy Old Milwaukee or something, right? You buy the cheapest thing you can get, that'll get you messed up. I mean, now as an adult, you're more into, you know, what do I like about this? What do I want to experience? Experiences are different and, and, and what taste and flavor and community. So uh, it's a whole different thing. Um, we, just, to, just to throw one more thing out there, as a craft grower, we would really like to see the ability to have a tasting room on our locations, some kind of small consumption lounge where people can try our product, because right now we're not allowed to, and we're not trying to step on the toes of dispensaries, you know, just like just like the, 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 the breweries, the craft breweries, where you can go and get a sample and sit a little bit. They're, they're not really they're not impinging on the ability of, of, of a liquor store to be able to sell their product efficiently. But, you know, we'd like to be able to do that because it should be an experience. The, the product should be differentiated. You should be able to go and, and right. see it, that. smell it and try it before you purchase a large I mean, amount of it. Yeah. If only our dispensaries could do that. Right. 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 You go to dispensaries in other States and it's like, here, you want to smell it here. You want to, yeah, we can't do any of that. We can't even have our product out. So there's more change to come, baby steps. But um, you know, the craft growers are are you're gonna. I think you're gonna see probably a dozen by the end of the year. 
or more up and running. You're going to see um, new and unusual and, and innovative products. You're going to see a lot of brands, I think, from out of state that you don't currently have here. Because as I hope people understand that if you love um, Papa and Barkley out in the West Coast, if you're going to get it here, it has to be made here. It has to be grown here and it has to be made here. I don't care if it's a California brand. It has to be made here. If, if you're getting excited about the cookies, um, dispensaries opening up and, and having some of their branded products, again, they're going to be made here. And so that's another opportunity for craft growers and infusers is to not only come up with their own brands, but also bring some of the very popular and, and, um, and high-end brands from out of state into the state to give people that variety that they, that they are looking for. So, yeah. Well, just hey, wait. Um, <laughs> I'm excited for the future. And, and speaking of the future, I've got a hypothetical question and then I want to spin it to you for the last word and okay. feel free to spin it in whatever direction you want. And we can close out for the night, for the day. Um, again, just a hypothetical. I was looking at your fact sheet in, earlier and I got so excited when I saw that point number one was right to grow. Scott, you triggered me because I am sorry. I'm looking for it right now because I thought you were talking about home. I know you all. thought you were talking about everybody should have the right to grow. Right. Right. So um, anyways, again, hypothetical question. Again, you made it very clear that you've kind of, this is your legislative priority um, plus the whole we talked about cannabis agency commission thing. Hypothetically, could we see support from the Illinois Independent Craft Grower Association for a, a you know home grow for all, which I think would really go a long way towards achieving what I think I was referring to earlier, which is like ending those policies. I'm hesitating because I can't take a position on behalf of the association. This we, we right. are very careful to make sure that we poll our members. We have a vote. We vote on you know what positions we want to take as an organization. I think that is something that definitely needs to be put out there and discussed. Um, you shouldn't have to basically lie to get a medical card. I mean, which most people you know, I I, I, I know plenty of people that have a medical card for very legitimate reasons. Uh, one of our co-founders of our of our craft grow. I'm, I'm partnered with two other people. He just passed away, um, you know, from cancer. And he was very much relying on cannabis as, as pain relief and, and appetite enhancer, et cetera. Um, but there are plenty of few people that, that have, have gone the medical route so they can grow at their, at their house. Um, I think we'd have to take a look at it to see, see, um, you know, what, it, well, I'll throw it back to you, Cole. What do you think that does to, the commercial market do you do you you know right now i suppose right now people are growing at home whether they have the medical license or not and so the average consumer if they really want to grow at home they're going to grow at home right now right medical card or no medical card um and i know plenty of people that have medical cards that do still go to the dispensary to get different strains to get different products to you know get let's say an infused pre-roll or or edibles and things like that but do you think it would have a material impact on on the, the commercial availability of the product? I mean, the commercial market for the product? No, because because we'd be talking about cultivation for personal use and and definitely not talking about, you know, licensing individuals. No, no, I agree with that. No, I, I didn't mean to suggest that. I meant yeah. if you were growing at home, not to say you're not now, don't know, don't care, but if you were growing at home now and you were growing five plants in your tent, um, 
every, and, and you're turning that over every, you know, 80 days or whatever you it ends up being, are you going to be going to the dispensary still and buying? I think so because the the argument for a dispensary and you talk to many other home growers, uh, you, you grow one plant and you get so much weed and you're like, dude, I want to mix it up. And so the argument for a dispensary is you get a diverse range of safe and hopefully affordable cannabis products. That's not the case in Illinois. Um, right. So, so no, I don't think it would stop me from going. It would be a supplement to the dispensary. It would help me get through. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and that would be the conversation and and it's a conversation. Let's get through this legislative session, but it's a conversation that uh, the industry should have because you can brew your own beer at home. And I know people that do right. doesn't stop them from buying beer. And um, in fact, I think it look, you could view it as an asset. You could look at it as like talent acquisition. Like it doesn't have to be, that's interesting. Like the conversation, and I'm not saying you framed it that way, but most people do frame it as like, oh, it's competition for the legal market. It's like, well, it doesn't have to be that way. This could be your talent that you're acquiring and you're, you're kind of eliminating your, your, your pool um, by not supporting the legalization of this, because if these people are criminals, you know how it is, at least in the state and of they'd Illinois. they still be criminals if they grew it at home. Right, right. No, and and by effect, they could be limited from getting in the industry, you know, so we are almost limiting our talent pool by not supporting there's, there's these measures. Conversation. There's definitely a conversation to be had there. Um, you know, I would say many of the craft grow team members on the various teams of craft growers grow at home or have grown at home. So mm -hmm. it's not a foreign concept. Um, it's just a question of, and, and I think, it, and now I'm just speaking for myself, it's always a question of, we need to be um, fair and equitable and, and realistic. But at the same time, there is an industry here that if we're not too careful, we're gonna end up with a bunch of bankruptcies. I mean, my co-craft growers out there they will tell you, I mean, they are putting their life savings on the line. And, um, you know, they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars just trying to get the license. And now they're putting the rest of their life savings and many of their family members' retirement savings on the line for these projects. And so it, it's a difficult balance. It, it, it's, it, it is not greed. It's more, in many cases, it's a sense of survival. Are mm -hmm. we going to get back, you know, the are, are, are the craft growers going to be able to actually have a livelihood if we allow whatever the subject matter might be? So it's a it's a important conversation. It's a it's a difficult conversation, but it's a many, many faceted conversation um, to have. Yeah. But it's it's the next it's the next level. I think I think you're right. It's the next level of question and conversation It's all right. Well, why can't we grow at home a few plants? Right. Yeah. I just, I just think that, yeah, it would go a, go a long way towards ending what we know is the criminalization of cannabis. But anyways, um, before I send it to you for the last word, I just want to say it was a delightful, I had, I had a good time speaking with you today. It's the first time for folks that are listening that we've ever spoken at length or at all, frankly, I think maybe we've interacted through email perhaps, but uh, it's it was a pleasure to meet you and speak to you for the first time. I'd love to have you, you back on in the show uh, in the future. So, Anytime. but I want to pitch it to you for the last words, Scott. Um, yeah, let's end this on a positive note. What you got? Yeah, I mean, support your craft growers. There are three out there right now. You're starting to see their products hit the hit the market. They're not only growing for themselves; they're supporting other 
uh, social equity brands. Um, 1937 is out there. They're going to be producing uh, products for other non-license holders, you know, who have created a brand. Um, you know, uh, Starbuds is out there producing their caviar. They're bringing that in. Um, and then you've got Illinois Collective. They haven't gotten uh, a product out there yet. They just got approved in February. So they're getting close. Um, but you're going to start seeing all these companies' products. And, and the way you can help all of us is start, you know, taking a flyer on their product um, and, and supporting um, their products in dispensaries, supporting the independent dispensaries. I believe as of last Tuesday, Vaughn told us the 16th independent dispensary was given their approval to uh, to open. I don't know if there's been more since then. Um, so seek those out, even if it's out of your way, go and seek out any of the potential social equity businesses you can, the independent dispensaries, buy the independent products, and, and let's try to build this organically so that we can have an industry that's that rivals the, the ones out in Colorado and California. I mean, you go out there and your head is blown off with the variety of products and the innovation. We need to bring that here. And it's going to come from the small guys. It's definitely going to come from the small guys. So let's just support your little guy and make sure that you let your uh, legislators know that you support the little guy. Scott, well said. Thank you Thanks so you much, call. folks. I hope you found as much value in this conversation as I did. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks a lot, Cole. Take care.